When we share our stories, something magical happens. We magnify the power and the purpose that our stories contain. I'm Amanda Solar, the host of Soulful Connections. Come on this journey with me and let's connect. Connection. So if you're a regular listener of Soulful Connections, you've already met my best friend, Roseanne, and we decided to do a podcast and we were going to talk about this one issue that um, I felt affected mothers. And then I got kind of bored by the topic by the time Roseanne and I connected. And so I changed my mind and I thought, hey, let's talk about like what brings us happiness Um, And we did start to do that. And then my beautiful best friend shared something that has been going on in her family for quite a while now. It's something that has been somewhat private and it is something that is very, very deep. I feel really thankful um, that she chose to share this because I do believe It will help so many people out there who are listening. Um, I also believe that it's very trusting of Roseanne to do this on this podcast. And again, I'm really grateful. And finally, I think when you listen to this episode and you hear the way Roseanne talks about this challenge, you will, as I always say, want her for your very best friend. But you know what? I got there first. We decided to be best friends in first grade. So what can I tell you? Um, Listen in and, you know, I invite and encourage you to share your own stories, especially as they relate to this challenging topic. Um, So you know what I was thinking? Victor sent me a... um, text. He's always texting me like videos that that interest him or whatever. And this one text he sent today was Mike Tyson. And he said the happiest he ever was, was in prison. The three years he spent in prison. (laughs) I know, and they can. Well, I'm feeling bad for my Tyson now. (laughs) Shit. He said, "You know, I was so happy in prison." And they they go, "But you have everything. You have all of this money." And he said, "Yeah, but I didn't have peace. And without peace, you just can't be happy." So, I thought about that just before you and I started talking, and I thought. Okay, so what are the things that make us happy? What is the secret to a happy life? Like what may what makes you happy? Well, you know, at first I'm I'm making fun of him, you know, that <laughs> but I get that the, the peace thing I do, but you know, it ha- number one has to be your health, right? Because yes. when you 
are not well, nothing else matters. Yeah, you know, you just so hard to, um, you know, feel anything about anything except what you're dealing with. So that's just the number one thing, you know, Mm -hmm. I think your health, once you have that, then you can, you can start to want the other things, you know, the, the peacefulness, the, yeah, you know, you can find happiness or joy, whatever, but, um, but yeah, what brings you happiness? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think the health thing is universal, but the rest of it seems pretty personal to me, I guess, things that might make bring me happiness don't, or joy don't necessarily bring you happiness or joy. Right. And you know, and what are the I universal think, things? I think the universal things, well, first of all, I think, and this goes back to, you know, I'm doing this whole meditation certification and really the goal is to be happy regardless of what's happening. You know, if your happiness is contingent upon an experience or a a thing that is very transient and because you know experiences change and things change and people change so one thing I would almost say is you know find joy in the day where you can you know sometimes you're going to have crushing responsibility or pressure or frustration Mm -hmm. or you know, it's really, I, I don't know. I think that it's hard to get to a place in your life where just everything is perfect. Yeah. Right. Amanda, you're, and you're reminding me of um, what you just said when, you know, when Julia, my oldest daughter was dealing with her, you know, addiction, her, her heroin addiction, she went into most, you know, the most recent um, facility that she went into was a, a 30 day um, ranch that we sent her to. Well, we didn't send her. She did this one on her own. She went in for help and, you know, she was clean and sober for like a year and a half. So of course, when we found out there was a relapse, we were saying to ourselves, why, what the heck, you know, why, why could this, how could this happen? Like, why would she do this? What, what brought this on? And, you know, this program, excuse me, was really good because they brought the family in and Julia was allowed to pick one family member for a three-day program with her. Wow. And she chose me, which I got to admit was shocking because I thought, oh, she's going to pick her father because he's so much nicer to her. (laughs) Like he's going (laughs) to take it easy on her and he's just going to love her the whole time. And I'm going to just say it. I'm going to speak it. So I thought she's very serious about this recovery if she's bringing me in. She is very serious. Yeah. But my point to the, this whole little background is that the counselor, I had said something to the counselor during this therapy session. And I said, you know, why, like, why did this happen? And the counselor said to me, okay, so there's a question you need to get over. And that's a question you need to never ask again, because the why is simply life. She relapsed because she was poured or she had a bad day or she got a difficult phone call or she was happy or she was celebrating something. The why of it is life. Life is all of those things. And she chooses her thing in response to something, but get over the why because the why is 
irrelevant. The why is simply life. It's not like there was some big catastrophic thing that happened that turned her, you know, towards this this usage again. And and that's like, you know, what you just said reminds me of that. Like life is gonna happen. The good yeah. and the bad, the happy and the sad, the whole, you know, the, the joy and the sorrow. And and you know, how do we walk through that? You know, how do you learn to walk through the happy and and the sorrowful all the same, you know, sometimes in the same day, right? I mean, it'll happen in the same day. Your life will change in a phone call. You know, my life yep. with my daughter often changed with a phone call. So, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's finding that way to continue, you know, yeah. through your life. And sometimes I think, you know, this too, you will be happy in a difficult circumstance. So we find this when we're at like a funeral or a viewing or something with family members and we'll, we'll be happy to see each other and we're laughing. And then you sort of remember why you're there and you're like, oh, I shouldn't be laughing. Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be feeling joy in that moment because we're, you know, we're at this funeral, but that's the truth. You know, you, you feel all that emotion and, you know, sometimes in, in a minute, you feel both. Yeah. 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 You're kind of reminding me of a couple of things that popped in there. One is, you know, when you said why I am learning in this, this um, primordial sound meditation certification, this thing that they actually call the software of the soul. You know, everybody has a different name for this, but basically according to these old Vedic thinkers, you have action karma, memory, samskara, desire, vasana. So in other words, there's this little cycle that you go through. And for example, I might get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee. And then my memory of that is, oh, it was cozy and it woke me up and it felt good. And that sparks the desire so that I do it again. But the thing about that little cycle is that it's not conscious. We're not even often aware of that little cycle that's happening. It might be like, I'm a little bored. And then you head to Amazon, stick something in your cart, get it. It feels good. And then you repeat that cycle. Maybe you head out to Target another time. But again, it's like an unconscious thing. And what they say is it's kind of like if you drove your car in the mud. And you just kept driving it the same day, you know, the same way for years and years. And you make these grooves. It's really hard to then drive, you know, your car kind of goes in those grooves. And how do you train your mind to go out of those grooves? It's, it's when you're comfortable or you're not thinking or you're not cognizant. And I would imagine addiction might be similar to that or, or any, anything, you know, I grab a candy bar, you know, it's these grooves that we've created and to break that cycle is much harder than just, well, you got to just have willpower. That's really kind of not, I think really I don't know. I, I, I think I we think all know that, that doesn't work. It doesn't. <laughs> it you know, doesn't we'd all be mm -hmm. slim and fit right. and how, like it, it would be, you know, willpower is just 
and discipline, they're not really the full answer. Um, and then the other thing that you were reminding me, and this is not having to do with addiction. This is just having to do with those things that spring up in your life when you think, okay, I'm good. Like, this is a good little moment here. And all of a sudden something comes up and you're like, seriously, I was just on a thing where everything was good. Like what? But of course there, that's the gift because you still get to grow, you know, and that, you know, happened to me today. I learned something and it felt like a betrayal and I, and it hit my ego and I thought, are you kidding me? I was just feeling really good. And now this is kind of knocking me down a peg and it's energizing my ego and, and bringing my ego to the fore. And then I'm kind of feeling resentful, but that's an opportunity too. Sure. Sure. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I think maybe we're using the wrong word, Amanda, because happiness is, is what we're talking about, but I feel like the word is contentment instead. Yeah. And, you know, this is, this is a biblical thing to me, you know, the apostle Paul in the Bible, you know, he wrote, you know, we need to learn to be content in plenty or in want and yeah. in, in, in all circumstances, you know, and here's, and, and here, there's a man who was speaking from a prison cell. He was in prison, you know, giving those, um, those commands, those words to us. And I think it is the contentment. And, you know, when I think of like my father, for instance, my father was the epitome of that. No matter what was happening in his life, whatever he had or didn't have, he was extremely content in his life. And it was a beautiful lesson for us to see, you know, as kids. Don't think I recognized it till I was a grown adult and had my own troubles and responsibilities. But, you know, no matter where he was in his life, even in his you know, at the end of his life through a very difficult illness, he was completely content in that, you know, not trying yeah. to change it, not wanting more, not wanting less, just, you know, um, really accepting his place in life all the time. And that contentment, he was always pretty much happy because he found that contentment in his circumstances. You know, that's a great point too. Because I think that in order to have contentment, you kind of do have to have acceptance. I think resistance is suffering. It just is. When you resist what is, to me, that might be some weird definition of happy, of um, suffering, mm -hmm. resisting what is. Because that resistance, that creates uh, some sort of, emotional friction you know and it's also interesting that this saint paul you <laughs> like how i go this saint paul this guy was writing from a prison cell because it that's just is very fascinating getting back to that whole little cycle of the whole um action you know memory desire that's almost a prison mm -hmm. if you're not aware that that's how you're living if you're not aware of what's driving you and you're just kind of repeating the cycle, repeating the cycle, and you kind of can't get out, it's kind of a whirlwind, that probably feels like a certain type of happiness because you're like satisfying it, satisfying it. You're like scratching that itch, whatever it is. 
but it's really that's it might feel happy but it it probably doesn't give you that sense of contentment you know yeah right exactly yeah I wonder what the word content means because you know what I just was thinking you know the word contention mm-hmm. it's the opposite of contentment yes right so I'll have to google that <laughs> yeah we'll have to look up the definition of it for sure like, yeah mm-hmm. yeah so yeah I don't know it's very true. interesting but yeah Mike Tyson's comment is you know that's interesting to talk about and and why yes. was he so peaceful in prison? Was it because he really didn't have day-to-day responsibilities? He yeah. didn't, his day was extremely structured. Um, yeah. He didn't have to make decisions. Um, they're made for you. So what was it that gave him that sort of sense of peace? Was it, you know, just the no no additional things coming at you like social media or... Um, you know, just those things that make us think less of ourselves because we see them. You know know what? It's such a good point. I I know. I actually, I don't have, like Facebook is not on my phone. Mm -hmm. I have to make a conscious effort, get on my laptop or something, go on it. But most of the time I don't see it. And that is, that gives me a feeling of contentment. Mm -hmm. Um, also, you know, there's something about social media that it's a very, it's like eating cotton candy all of the time. It's just very unsatisfying. It's, it's just not very rich or deep. And That's it right. certainly doesn't help you to create and um, produce, I think. So, yeah, I've, I've kind of taken steps. I I think, you know, meditation is a key or prayer, whatever it is that centers you. I think that's a really great start to a peaceful day. I think reducing toxins, social media could be considered a toxin. There mm-hmm. are certain people that, you know, it's just better to not be around. Right. You know? That can, yeah, you know, avoid you know? just avoid, you know, just trying to avoid, um, you know, those things and toxicity. And like, yeah, exactly. And, you know, like you were talking about the grooves, you know, <laughs> these grooves, we have to choose different grooves, you know? Yeah. So when, when my daughter, for instance, has whatever brings her towards, you know, going back to her opioid addiction, she will have to learn to choose something else you know, make a healthy choice. A healthy choice is, is the point, you know, we're all going to choose something, but you have to choose something healthy. You do. But I do, I do believe if it's really hard for us to choose something healthy, it really, really is. I mean, that's why you need those tools. You need, you know, some sort of system. It's kind of like, you know, I was talking to Victor and he was like, yeah, I'm going to lose some weight this year. That's my new, his resolution is always like, mine is always like, believe. Right. That <laughs> <laughs> covers a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, That's you know, true. he's like, lose weight and take care of my family. Um, yeah. But I'm like, you have to create a system. You can't just wake up and all of a sudden things are going to be different than yesterday. You have to have a a structure right a system 
and otherwise it's not and I imagine and I don't know you know you know way more about the this world of addiction and and how they address it but I would imagine does it involve setting up systems it does it it really involves replacing a habit you know you you can't just kick a habit Mm -hmm. you literally have to replace that with something else for Mm -hmm. success so you know if if Victor's habit is you know he eats donuts every morning because he loves them just got to replace that with something you know that makes sense that right you know leads him to his end goal but you can't just not eat anything then or you know it's right you just or you know like some people that I notice um you know that are that are in Julia's addiction program they will become um extreme extremely physically fit they'll get into a a physical fitness program and that's where they'll they'll focus whether it's you know now suddenly they're big yogis or they're triathletes or there's something that they put their energy towards that replaces um makes them feel better gives them that sort of i guess endorphin feeling without um it's a better choice ultimately it's a choice that you can live your life doing you know where you can't live your life you know uh, choosing opioids because eventually you'll just, you'll die, you know, it yeah. will kill you. So yeah. So you got to replace it. You got to replace that habit with well, something with a new habit, a, yes. a new better habit. How about, um, and tell me if you're not comfortable talking about this, Roseanne. I mean, I know you're comfortable talking with me, but I can hit stop record, but <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how do you handle your own equanimity? as you're experiencing, you know, a daughter who is challenged with addiction. Right. And, you know, I'm very open about Julia's addiction because I think, you know, Amanda, you know, this more than anyone that the first time I found out that Julia was using opioids, you're the first person I called to talk about it. And my first thought was, I will never tell anyone this. I'm never speaking of this. I'm hiding this. I'm not telling a soul about this. This is like the craziest thing I've ever heard that, you know, I have this outstanding, beautiful daughter who is now a heroin addict. Like I could not even, you can't even wrap your brain around the belief of it. But, you know, what I quickly learned is that if you don't speak of it, 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 it feels like a lot of shame. And then, you know, I listened to a lot of professionals, a lot of people that said, hey, you know, this is, this is a real problem, this opioid crisis. It is no joke. And we have to be talking about it. And we have to see people like my daughter, who is the last person you would ever imagine that would get involved in this, um, coming from just a really clean background, you know, not a background of addiction not a background of, you know, any kind of major issues that you would say, oh yeah, that she, a top student, right, a top athlete and just, you know, and just, you know, anybody that would meet her would say, oh, she's such a lovely girl, you know, just a great personality outgoing and, you know, went to one of the, you know, best colleges in the country. And, and so you can't see it coming is the crazy and it needs to be out there and discussed. So I don't hide it and I will talk to anybody about it and, and I'm completely open about it. And Julia's comfortable with that. 
you know, maybe if she wasn't, that would be the difference, of course. but she would also pop on here and happily talk to you about it too. So that's, Oh yeah. yeah that's maybe we could do news. that. Yeah. It would be really, really good. But you know, it's, it's almost, I guess the hard part with, I think with a caregiver of an addict, whether that's a spouse or a parent is that the addict gets help. You know, they get, they often get really great help. Like one time Julia, you know, went to like this three month facility and it was beautiful. And she was, you know, getting these beautiful meals prepared for her. And there was equine therapy. She was with horses and she was, you know, doing this yoga program. And we saw her and it's like, she looked great. She just looked so great. And we were thinking, oh, wow, she looks great. And then I'm saying to myself, well, where's my program? Like I've been equally right. beat up by this. And yes. we, as the caregivers are picking up the pieces of their life while they're in what I would call the four seasons is what it sometimes <laughs> seems like. Like they go away, they're being cared right. for and, and, and that's all lovely and all that. And then we are picking up all the pieces of that mess that they've left behind, trying to put it back together. And that's, what's really, really hard is because they come back with a complete respite and they look great and we're still drowning. You know, the, the caregivers are still drowning and, and we didn't get that chance to get a break. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, we're, we're years into this with our daughter and she has been, it was in some facilities that were state run and they, it was yeah. not pretty. And there was nothing pretty about it. And it was very utilitarian. And, and I just remember thinking, oh God, it's so, I would sit in there and want to redecorate it. Like I would sit in the, in the little meetings going, I, I would paint this a different color. Can they put a sofa in here? Like, oh my gosh. Yes. The place of yes. bed. Cause it was so depressing and awful. So not every place that she's been to is, is amazing, but but the only time that our family got the recovery was that that we needed was she went into a that one year program and when she yeah. was in there for a full year and it was a live in that's when all of us finally recovered we had got time to stop worrying to yeah. you know clean up our stuff that we stopped you know taking care of our our own personal stuff because we were dealing with her crazy right and, you know, we ended up having the time to all reconnect without fear, without freaking if the phone rang in the middle of the night, you know, getting over that sort of anxiety and trauma. But that yeah. just took, for us, that took time. It, it took that full year, honestly. And that can be, that can destroy a family because, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. The oh, symptoms yeah. of addiction, somebody, I was in a meeting one time and we were talking about addiction and somebody said, you know, the symptoms of addiction, you know, they're the symptoms that will put people in jail. The, the symptoms are, they're ugly. And that's why people so often are filled with rage um, towards people with addiction. Because, you know, it's not like, um, you know, if you have an illness, there's a symptom, maybe you throw up or you have a fever, but these symptoms involved, you know, some hardcore activities that directly and extremely negatively impact those they love. That's so, the problem. 
they're yeah. not just doing it to themselves. They they yeah. are, but what they're doing impacts all the people around them. You know, right. it certainly impacted us financially. Yeah. It, you know, it, it impacted um, our anxiety levels. We were scared all the time. You know, it, she, she did have overdoses. So mm. one, we didn't even know about that took place. We never knew it happened until a year later that wow. she was hospitalized, you know, in an overdose situation. And so, you know, and you're, she lived on the street. I mean, can you imagine like as a mom, like laying in your bed in the middle of the night, picturing your, you know, your beautiful, you know, 21 year old daughter living on the street, you know, um, what kind of trauma and anxiety is that wondering what's going on. And, and then I never saw it, but you know, her poor father did, you know, find her many times, you know, middle of the night, finding her and yanking her off the streets, you know, and he saw too much. I can only imagine, but he actually saw it. I mean, he tried to protect us from, you know, some of this knowledge because it's, it's just beyond your comprehension, yes. you know, yeah. and I had a dear, dear friend who was Julia's nanny when Julia was a baby. And she happens to live out here in Washington and she was driving to the grocery store. She was, you know, several hours from us and, you know, small, small little town. And and she went to pull into the parking lot and she thought, oh, look at that cute girl in the corner with a cardboard sign. Like she felt so bad for her. Like she looks so young and vulnerable. And then she got close and realized it was Julia. And she called me. She said, I almost crashed my car. Like I, I'm, she said, I'll never get over yeah. it. And I think, yeah, I bet, you know, and then what do you do? Do you give them money, you know? And right. she felt so bad because she said to me, I made a mistake. I, I gave her $20 and and she said, God, Roseanne, if she uses that $20 and buys heroin and it kills her, I'll, ne I'll never forgive myself. I'm like, yeah, see, that's the thing. Yeah. You know, there's no right answer. You know, there's, there's no right answer in those situations. There is, there is no right answer. So what, you know, because I, I've known you your entire life and my entire life. <laughs> Be yeah. weird if I only knew you your entire life, but not my entire life. <laughs> well, maybe if you were a lot older than me. You That's true. That. That's true. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, and by the way, may I just say, can you imagine if we were like in third grade dreaming of our future and somebody said, oh, Roseanne, here, sit down. This is how it's going to go down. Oh, I can often think even, that, Amanda. I often think that. Even, right? yeah. If somebody said to me, this is what, this is, this is what this is going to look like in 2018. Let me just lay yeah. it out for you. Cause 2018 yeah. was the worst year we ever had in our life. You know, it was just like one crazy thing after another. Yeah, you would never, I, I no, you would never. First of all, they would have said, you you'll can... have three kids. And I would have said, yeah, no, that I will not be having three kids. <laughs> <laughs> so there, it would have started there. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. you know, and I mean, honestly, if somebody told you what you're going to live through in life, you would just go, I, you know, what, how do I not do that? Like, what's the road? But I also will say, I've known you through that whole thing, obviously. And, you know, you are always loving, always kind, always well-spoken and beautiful. <laughs> oh, this and is why you're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder, like, what are the tools? How did you, what would you tell somebody who is a parent 
and it's their 2018 and it's their daughter, son, spouse, whatever. What tools did you call upon? How did you get through it? Yeah. I mean, what I would tell them is that was really nice of what you just said, um, you know, loving and kind, but there were moments that I was appalled by my behavior with my daughter appalled. She just pushed me too far and I lost it a couple times with her. And, you know, looking back on it, you know, I really regret it because I would say to myself, good Lord, Roseanne, you're the grown up here. You know, you're the, you're the 50 year old, you know, she's a young woman, but it doesn't matter when you're pushed too far and you're, right. you're, you just lose, you literally lose control. I mean, even in that moment, I, I knew I shouldn't be doing the things I was doing, but I couldn't help it. I was so enraged. I was so crazed. And it, it's, it's terrible, the regret that you have later. And, and, you know, and, and we've had a lot of recovery over the last few years that I've been able to apologize to my daughter, even for my actions with her. Um, and, you know, I would say, would I do it differently? I don't know, because I didn't have any self-control at that moment. I was just too far gone. <laughs> so of course would I, I would want to do it differently, but could I, I'm not even sure, but, but, but the answer to your question is where we started in this podcast. The answer to your question is that I did a wonderful exercise that was, um, it, that I learned it from my pastor at church. And it was, it was sort of like a gratitude journal, but not exactly but it was a legitimate exercise where I he gave us all books one Sunday at church, little like writing books. And we had to write down every day, you know, three things that happened in that day that were bright spots that we enjoyed. And he said, I don't want you to write things down like, um, you know, the, the generic stuff, stuff you're grateful for, like, oh, I'm grateful for my house. N not that. He was saying more things like, you know, be really specific. Like you said, I had that cup of coffee this morning and, you know, and that just warmed me up and, you know, just very, um, so not big things, could be small things, but very specific things to write down. And I remember writing one thing down about like one night we lost power in the house and it ended up that Jeff and Hope and I, because we were the only three living in our house at the time, um, we made a little dinner by candlelight. And we had this little dinner by candlelight. We cooked this dinner by candlelight and we're laughing and it's a terrible storm. And, and that's one of the things I wrote down because it was a very lovely experience, you know, that was unexpected. But when I got through the hard, the hard, hard parts, I did go back and read. And he said, do it for a month, like one whole month, write down every day. The first thing you wrote down was how you felt. Today, I feel blank. And I would have to put one word in there. I would sometimes put scared or anxious or happy or mad, angry, whatever, um, and depressed. Um, and then, you know, then it would, you would write down today, I'm grateful for these three things. And then after that, it was sort of ending in a prayer, you know, today, Lord, I need from you. And often if I wrote anxiety, anxious at the top, I would write peace at the bottom. Today, I need your peace. Today, I need your love. Today, I need your um, help. Today, I need your understanding. Today, I need your clarity, whatever it might be. But it brought sort of wrapped that whole thing up. And that exercise just taught me a lot. It taught me to look for the small things 
in a bad day that are still good. And it taught me to reach out and ask for help when I need it. And it taught me to recognize how I feel. So in that one exercise, every 30 days faithfully, it showed me all of those things that I may not have paid attention to. So I think that's how you get through a hard time. Oh my gosh, Roseanne, I'm just going to do a podcast with you once a week and ask you a different question because I think that is beautiful, profound, and I think that will help so many people. I really do. I love it, that. It saved me. It saved me. Yeah. And trust me when I tell you there are days where I'm like, what the hell would number three be? Because I can't come up with anything good. Yeah. Like there's not three good yes. things to me today. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it was just that hard of a time. You know, we were experiencing such stress with Julia. And then, you know, we had an issue with my son that was a great loss. And we were experiencing such heartbreak and loss, you know, with him and for him. And it was just that everything felt so bad, you know, so, yeah. it was, but yes, you know, one day I did write down this, I had a beautiful, I, you know, I had a cup of tea that I loved, you know, and, or sometimes it was like a friend who just called or stopped in, you know, or dropped something off. And so there's always something in every day, even if it's just the sunshine, right. That you're, that you're thankful for, right? you know, but there yeah. is something. You know, it also yeah. reminds me that back during this time, you and I would talk and you said something, I thought it was such a great point because I'm thinking as you're talking, Roseanne, that we all have to really be kind and show a little mercy toward everybody because no matter what their life looks like, we have no idea, mm -hmm. of course, what they're actually experiencing. And I, I remembered where you said, you know, if I wanted to, I could make my life on social media look amazing. You know, mm -hmm. you have this beautiful family. Everybody is, looks good. Your home is lovely. You know, you can really kind of create a picture perfect um, view yeah, for everybody. You can. Mm -hmm. And, yes. you know, there might it's one thing to be thrilled and to kind of be grateful and to share that gratitude in some way. But I do think it's a little dangerous when we start presenting these idealized versions of our life. Um, and I don't think it's dangerous for us. I don't know. Maybe it is, but I think it's dangerous for those around us because there's always somebody who's suffering and yes, that can be yeah. hard to see, you know, and that person who's suffering, they may not share with you if they think that you're you're dealing with nothing or perfection. And and right. I learned that at my job because I went into my job one day and one of my managers, um, yeah, he was a nice guy. He was we didn't have him working for us for very long. He was um kind of, you know, it, it didn't work out work out as a good job for him, but um but I went in that one morning and he said, I said, oh, hey, how are you? And he's like, ah, all right. And I said, yeah, me too. You know, and, and he said, yeah, I had a hard night. And I said, oh my gosh, me too. And then I just sort of like spilled it. Like, yeah, my, you know, my daughter, you know, I don't know if you know this, but she's, you know, she's, she's an opioid addict and we had this happen, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just going on. And then, you know, I'm telling him a tiny bit about, you know, my son had this accident and, and he looked at me 
And he said, oh my God, Roseanne, I would have never known. I would have just never known you're going through all this. I'm so sorry. And I said, yeah, it's pretty bad. And then he said, yeah, I almost killed myself last night. Okay, right? Now he would have, I swear, Amanda, he would have never told me that if I hadn't opened up to him about what I was going through, it gave him somehow a safe space to open up and tell me what he was going through. And I thought, wow, you know, I could have just fluffed my whole life up to look just a hundred percent. Absolutely. Never, you know, never gotten to really sit down and have a heart to heart with this man and say, what's going on? How can I help? You know? So it is harmful. I think sometimes to others when we don't share our pain and our suffering, because then they won't share theirs. Right. I mean, one of the, you're, you're, I had a podcast that I did a couple of days ago and we talked at the end about, you know, in my former life, which starts to feel so long ago, um, you know, we had like a lot of networking events, which I love, but she was like, gosh, if we could have networking events and gatherings where we can get together, we can do business with one another, but we can also be truly authentic and we can share our trauma without it being pitiful you know because it's also the fact that we have this trauma we all have something um and then you don't want it to be met with "Ooh, oh my lord gosh Mm -hmm. you know you don't want somebody to recoil either you know you just want to say hey this is what i'm experiencing and and find a connection and then find way forwards together. And if we can kind of create that, I think that is really exciting. And part of why Rosanna, as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, well that remember back in the day where I kept trying to change the name of this podcast, right? Going, No, it's not (laughs) clever. I want it to be clever. And um, it really is the connections. And you kind of can't connect, you know, you connected with that guy mm-hmm. in a way that you never would have connected without sharing your truth. That's exactly right. That's right. Yeah. Unless we're vulnerable, there's something about it that we, we really can't, we're really not connecting on any kind of profound level. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I'm the first to say, Hey, if, if I'm putting a picture of myself on social media, it's going to be a good picture. Oh yeah. No, I mean, none of us, but it's not going to be like, okay, that makes me look really fat. I'm not putting that on social media. So I'm that girl too that wants to present myself in the best possible light. Always. Of course. I am her, Um, you know, uh, so visually speaking, you know, yeah. So I, I'm not putting that down because I think we all do that. It's, oh my gosh. And you know, actually I'm doing a whole branding workshop Roseanne about how to take the best pictures and how to actually mm-hmm. accurately reflect your brand um and believe me when I take my you know promo shots you know I'm, I'm not going to use the worst ones and say hey <laughs> this wasn't a bit a great moment but at the same time <laughs> I'm not going to do like the whole snapchat filter thing because do you ever see yes. those pictures I do they're very I'm always like fuzzy <laughs> sort fuzzy. of I don't know what they are cloudy or 
Well, they actually have like, they, you know, me with my little Irish lips, all of a sudden my lips are very full. full. (laughs) (laughs) And the problem is that if I put that as my profile picture, somebody might actually meet me in person. (laughs) And they'll be like, where are these voluptuous lips you had? (laughs) You know, or whatever it is. I mean, these Snapchat filters, they're crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately somebody might see you and they won't recognize you. So it is about just, you know, balance. Like with everything, it's probably some balance, you know. And you're not, you're certainly not sharing your trauma and every single handshake, you know, it's not, you know, right. Exactly. But, um, yeah, yeah, that, well, I really, I really think, you know, when I first said, let's do a podcast, we were talking about, um, I had heard a different podcast where they said to women, Hey, don't worry about the holidays. Your presence is enough. Stop putting pressure on yourself. And my whole thing was like, oh my gosh, that's just one more pressure. <laughs> Cause I don't know how to stop putting pressure on myself. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think we come out trying to make everybody happy mm-hmm. and the holidays kicks that up a notch, you know? Yeah, it does. And you know, we have responsibilities. Who's going to make the Christmas dinner then if we right. just are there and not doing anything. Right. Nothing's the under the tree. Do it. I'll say, well, you guys, I just yeah. thought just being with me would be enough, you know? Exactly. But, right. Um, but then I got bored with it, as you know, and I just thought, you know, it just provoked something when Victor sent that little video to me about Mike Tyson in prison being the happiest he'd ever been. I thought mm-hmm. just so interesting I always find the topic of happiness interesting yeah because we just universally seem to chase after it and we're convinced always that we know what's going to bring us happiness Mm -hmm. and it's usually something on that little wheel that we were talking about it usually if we're two in our heads about it so exactly. I love, right? I love that moment of reflection. I think ultimately that's what, um, that's what brings us joy. You know, when we have. Sorry, but the reason that I just signed, I just, I heard a child stomping outside my bedroom door, where I'm doing my podcast, yeah. and I started thinking that I was not going to be able to complete my thoughts. So <laughs> I don't know where I was headed. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's pretty funny. But uh, anyway, Roseanne, thank you. Th- thank you for sharing. I think that's really beautiful and powerful. And, you know, um, I also think that I would love to explore it further in mm-hmm. a future podcast. And maybe we could get Julia on yes. and she could talk yes. about it. Well, I, I would like to, you know, to bring the, as my husband calls it, and he's right, the epidemic of this opioid crisis, you know, to the forefront. Um, And I have a very good friend who's a a psychologist. And she said to me, if, if only you knew the people that are walking around living their day to day lives as addicts, particularly heroin, she said, you would be shocked. So it's bigger than we know. And it's, it's so easy to fall into that. 
I mean, the, it is such an easy drug to become immediately addicted to. So you almost don't even get a second chance sometimes. So, you know, it's, it's very, very good to talk about and how easily you can get a prescription pain medication, become addicted to it. And now you're a heroin addict because that's, you know, that's your next go-to when you can't get that drug anymore and how quickly that happens to people. Scary. And I think the important, another important part of the conversation, Roseanne, is this shame. Mm -hmm. We feel shame. Oh my gosh. If there, we spend days, we just human beings collectively, we spend our days sometimes avoiding shame and we attach mm -hmm. shame to so many aspects of our lives. And if we don't attach shame to it, we attach its kissing cousin embarrassment. And That's I think I had all that. I had yeah. all that yeah. in the beginning eight stages, hundred percent. And that's just yeah. not healthy for any of us because then we're not talking about what is part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. We are human beings. We are not angels. We are not saints. We are actual human beings and we're on this journey and we are going to make blunders and we are going to mess up and we are going to experience all of the range of humanity whether we experience it ourselves or whether a loved one is experiencing something so if we can kind of talk and talk and then talk some more i think we can reduce the shame and have a collective conversation and then elevate our consciousness and and help one another Right, right. Because you can't help somebody if you don't know there's a problem. I mean, no. you can't help somebody if you've never heard of this before. You know, right. you hear something from someone and you and I do this all the time. And later on, something comes across our, our path and we say, oh, you know, this woman told me this. And now we're using that information, you know, that yeah. was for, for our current situation or issue. Right. So and now you're a resource. That's right. And this information that you're sharing is a resource. First of mm -hmm. all, just the fact, Roseanne, that you share, hey, I went through this. My mm -hmm. daughter went through this. Just the fact that you share that immediately helps somebody say, oh, you know, she went through it too. I'm not alone. That's right. That's right. And you it know? gives you hope at the back end. You know, we've, um, AA is an interesting thing. You know, it's, like you said earlier, you bring a group of people together with the same issue and they get to talk and nobody's shocked by what they hear because they've all, you know, they've all been through something similar together. But, you know, there's also, for me, there was also great difficulty in some of those AA meetings listening to, um, you know, the outcomes that were not um, what I hope to be the outcome for my daughter, you know, a lot of mothers in there saying my son's in prison or my daughter's dead or, you know, and you, and I think, Oh boy, you know, this is not helping me. <laughs> like, right. Not helping me. I get it. Right. But, yep. but you know, it, so there's, it's a tricky thing, you know, it is for what can help you and what can't, but you know, my, Julia's on the backside of this currently. And hey, that could change in a day, in a minute. But 
that also had I talked to somebody like me back in the day when things were really tough, that would have given me hope to right. see their daughter. Okay. She came through that and she's, and yes, it was very difficult to get her treatment. She resisted it every step of the way for years until finally, you know, we got her, um, you know, you can't force somebody to get help. You, you can, you can lay it all out in front of them and give them all the options and tools that they need. So it's easier, but you can't make them do it, especially if they're grown up adult, you know, your, your legal, your legal hands are tied. Um, and, you know, but that would have given me a lot of hope, you know, to see, okay, wait, wow, that, you know, that girl who looks a lot like my daughter is, you know, she's come through this and she's living yeah. a life. She's married. She has children. She's, a functional adult, you know, and has, is doing all the things that I hope that my daughter, you know, would eventually get to. Yep. So it's, that's, that's where sharing is, is caring, you know, really, it really, really is. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. Mm -hmm. sharing is, I'm like, is she, she going to say caring? Yeah. Sharing is caring. <laughs> it's right? true. It's, it's true. true. That is, and, and it's something for which I'm grateful because people have a resistance to it and understandably I understand it, but at the same time, I so deeply appreciate, um, you sharing this story. I really do. Uh, you're welcome, honey. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. I hope you're able to connect the dots between your story and the one you just heard. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a great rating and subscribe and send any thoughts, any ideas for topics, any types of guests you want to hear from to me at amanda at soulfulliving.com. That's S-O-L-F-U-L-I-V-I-N-G. Hey, and listen, if you know a great guest you want to introduce me to like Oprah, just saying, I'm totally up for it. Finally, I would love to ask you to give a rousing round of applause to William Aronson, who wrote, produced, and performed the Soulful Connections theme song. Thank you, Bill. And thank you.